0: Warning this podcast contains heavy spoilers for not just one movie, but entire franchises. We highly recommend going and watching these movies before listening to us as a companion piece that stitches all the timelines into one creepy, crime ridden story. There will be no more spoiler warnings. We do not break character. After this, there is no turning back. You've been warned. Hit the music.
1: You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of
0: a lunatic mind.
1: It's It's alive, it's alive, it's alive.
0: Welcome to It's Alive Alive Podcast. This is a true crime paranormal interstellar podcast covering unbelievable stories that sound like they were ripped straight from the pages of a Hollywood script. I'm your host, the man of many names, the outlaw Harley Ray, the bruiser Bronson, Dr. H.R. Smokinstein, THC, or you can just call me Josh for short. And with me as always is my very own Scream Queen, the perfect combination of beauty and brains, the brightest Smokinstein, the India horror, the expert of guts and gore, the gorgeous to the sexy Amy Rose. I don't know why at this stage I haven't just recorded that once and just pasted it into every episode.
1: I say this to you a lot.
0: <laughs> never listen. I half enjoy doing it. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's a bit, <laughs> because I run out of breath halfway through. Do you
1: feel like a ring announcer?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I feel like, uh, I don't know, when um DX or the Road Dog comes out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, of all the <laughs> D-Generation X probably brings to you the five times? Tag? I can't remember how many times I went to tag titles. Oh, well, yeah, now you've just yeah, fucked up the audition. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing as well when you think about it, and it's actually in this time frame of the story we're talking about—the nineties. Like, there was like little kids, at kids' age, like five, six, seven, uh, eight, nine, uh-huh. running around smacking at their crotch, going "suck it." <laughs> 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 just, no. just, we were seeing it in wrestling. You know? <laughs> See, I wasn't allowed to touch off wrestling. <laughs> and i'm pretty sure my parents would have seen us do it like the crotch the and the yeah. soccer, we were doing it so often like. <laughs> <laughs> and even then i bought i remember later on like a few years ago i bought one of the dx football jerseys
1: yeah
0: and uh one of my friends had that when he was only like 12
1: but that says suck oh, it.
0: Yeah. It says suck it. The number is 69 on it.
1: <laughs> Did this just go over the parent's head? Like, it went over or? the
0: kids' heads, and I'd say the parents just left it because they knew it was going over heads. head. Still can with
1: that them. across the kids' back. But, you
0: know, even to this day, they're still fucking crotch chopping and in, in resting. Like, you know, it's, it's a common kind of fuck you kind of middle finger. When
1: yeah, but it's going to go even more over the kids' head because they're not roaring suck at it at the same time.
0: Yeah, but now we have the acclaimed walking around scissoring each other all the time. I love the acclaimed. Scissor
1: me, daddy-ass!
0: I want one of their t-shirts so Uh, bad that I know I can't wear it around. I
1: think i get away with that.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Are you ready for Ghostface Part 2?
1: Yep. Nothing I like better than spending my evening talking about a pair of Looney Tunes. Do
0: you ever wonder about that when it comes to these Ghostface cases? I mean, we've already said this has happened like what? Six times now, knock out in a copycast case based in Atlanta, and all but one case we have had multiple killers joining forces. So at going a killing spree. How is it that these people keep finding each other?
1: Have you never heard of follow? You do. It means the madness of two, and it's basically this rare psychological condition in which symptoms of a delusional belief and sometimes hallucinations are transmitted from one individual to another. So while the exact causes of the condition are unknown, the main two contributors are stress. Stress, even, and social isolation. People who are socially isolated together tend to become dependent on those they are with, leading to an inducer becoming able to influence those around them. Additionally, people developing shared delusional disorder do not have others reminding them that their delusions are either impossible or unlikely. As a result, treatment for shared delusional disorder includes those affected be removed from the inducer.
0: So you just separate them. Mm hmm. It's funny There were twins
1: that. that happened to and They ended up separating the twins. But the twins knew. And they were like, oh, she's going to die. And one of them didn't talk. And then uh, he actually
0: died.
1: Creepy. Yeah, we know the story. Yeah. Well,
0: I actually just heard the sentence, Folly do in the Ted Bundy documentary. Right? Oh, yeah
1: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. One of the, I don't know if he was a detective. I think he might have been a detective. He was a detective or a journalist. But he used it when he described him and uh, the Carol Ann Boone, mm. his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the cold courtroom marriage thing. They say he he described it as a folly. A dude. And the two of them were gone? They said they were in this world together. She was. was Tat. She married Ted Bundy and had a child with him in jail. Yes, there, she was a little. There was probably something not quite right with her at the time.
1: So, could you trick somebody into marrying you in court? Do you know if it was a thing of like, oh, do you find me attractive? Would you be? Would you marry me? And then they said yes, and like, oh, well, I'd marry you. And I was like, ah, oh, no, you're married. Yeah,
0: well, it's only in Florida.
1: But if, if, that, if that was the scenario in Florida, you'd be technically married to this person, even though they just asked him, you, you
0: know. I'm sure. I, you see, I think this is kind of one of those really, really silly loophole kind of things that if either the two of them had kicked up a little bit, it would have been uh, an old straight away okay. or it would have been not valid. But yeah. I think because they were both willing participants okay. and I'm willing to go along with it. But yeah, there was some loophole and he did get married in court. And I wonder it, it if that was to, a
1: flex. I know the law this well
0: maybe or maybe it was just because he liked the media circus so it was like it was going to be another headline maybe uh,
1: when he told that author that he didn't care what was in it that, that he just wanted it to become a bestseller and to sell the, the, the books i thought that was fucking obnoxious right,
0: uh, We're giving away our fucking Sorry. paid content here <laughs> if you want to hear more on ted bundy go to patreon.com forward slash Pod, and you will get it on real monsters and it's a good episode Anyway, do you think COVID lockdown could have caused a rash of copycats to return to Woodsboro New York over the last few years? Do you know, because mm-hmm. these people are in um, close proximity, talking to each other, and a lot of people would have been talking online, so you would have had a lot of these Reddit incels fucking messaging each other over COVID and yeah. building up. So, And a lot of these hardcore Stab fans
1: probably
0: um, would have spent most of covid just watching these fucking movies and then being yeah, on message boards talking shit so that are gonna connect and um, is that maybe what caused the whole richie kirsch thing with amber freeman and
1: yeah i mean you know? i'm sure it's a possibility but like you said before it's going to take time for the dust to settle there and for more information to come out in regards to the most recent ghostface copycats
0: True, I'm glued to the story, and as soon as there's any updates, you'll be the first to know, but I will say, since this is a reboot episode, since we recorded the original episode, Mm -hmm. more has come out, and I reckon it won't be as long as we think it'll be until we're covering the whole um, Carpenter Sisters, Okay. So and the curses, and all that, fun, (laughs) (laughs) anyway,
1: Stress is also a factor as it's a common factor in mental illness developing or worsening. The majority of people that develop shared delusional disorder are genetically predisposed to mental illness, but this predisposition alone is not enough to develop STD. In other words, stress is a risk factor of the disorder. When stressed, an individual's adrenal gland releases the stress hormone cortisol into the body, increasing the brain's level of dopamine. This change can be linked to the development of a mental illness, such as shared delusional disorder. While there is no exact cause of shared psychosis, there are several factors that are contributors depending on different cultures and communities, and taking into consideration the individual's circumstances, including their environmental changes and relationships.
0: Here's a question before I move on. Mm. You were saying about the twins that were separated, right? And Mm. one knew the other one was going to die. So... Can this, fo- I wonder, and I know we don't actually have an answer for this, so I don't know why I'm asking, but I wonder can this folly do thing happen without E being in the exact proximity of each other? Can it be um, passed on? I mean, without getting into too much detail and revealing, well, everyone knows who we're talking about today. Billy and Nancy Yeah Is that a case of Folly do. Is that a case of two people sharing a madness Even though Billy was dead and gone Before Nancy took off on hers
1: I don't think so do I know? don't know I think-
0: Her insanity was caused by his influence His insanity I We're going to see by the end here Everything she does is A tribute to him yeah. So is this a case Is that what we're looking at right here But there is a cool case that I did want to talk about before we get into Nancy Loomis and Mickey Altieri. Mm And that is the case of Ursula and Sabina Eriksson. Have you heard of them? I have. I remember this happening. Yeah, you remember it happening?
1: hmm I remember there was videos around of it at the oh, time. Uh, These videos have like, been around a long, long time. Long. Like yeah.
0: a UK version of cops mm. that fucking got it. Yeah. So Sabina Eriksson and her identical twin sister, Ursula Eriksson, were born in Sweden on the 3rd of November 1967 and grew up in Sundvarmland with an older sister named Mona and an older brother named Bjorn. In their youth, there was no apparent history of mental health issues or criminal convictions. And by 2000, Ursula was living in the United States, while Sabina was living in Mallow County, Cork, Ireland, with her spouse and two children. That's literally about an hour, hour? and a half away uh, from here. Yeah, yeah. If even, yeah. But just under an hour and a half mm. away from here. Uh Ursula visited Sabina on Friday, 16th, May, 16th of May 2008, but for reasons that are unclear, the sisters secretly departed Sabina's home for Liverpool, England. Probably travelling by ferry, they arrived in Liverpool at 8.30am on Saturday and went to St Anne Street Police Station, apparently in order to report concerns over the safety of Sabina's children. Liverpool police contacted Dublin to follow up on a request, learning that Sabina had had a fight with her partner the previous night. At around 6.30am that morning, the pair then boarded a National Express coach headed to London.
1: A police report stated that the twins suddenly disembarked from the bus at Kiel Services, a motorway service station, as they were not feeling well. The driver of the bus, however, said he left them at Kia Services, even though it was not a scheduled rest stop at around 1pm after becoming suspicious of their erratic behaviour. He noticed the twins clinging to their bags tightly and did not let them reboard because they refused to let him search their bags for illegal items. The manager of the service station was informed and also feeling suspicious of the pair's demeanour, movements and fixation on their bags she called the police. Officers arrived to talk to them, but left after saying that the woman seemed harmless.
0: Before you go on, you worked in a petrol station, I worked in a Uh petrol station. Did you ever have like weird people like that showing up?
1: No, but there's one night we we're locking up and this guy came through the door and he was like, I'm after getting stabbed, and there was like blood pouring from him. this was like yeah. ten o'clock and like, yeah, yeah. You've never told me that before. I have told you that before. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, so he wants us to call the guards. and he didn't look like it was like faint and stabbing, but there was there was like kind of like it looks like it was over his hip bone, like yeah, so that yeah. kind of way now. There was like a good a gash, bit of blood. Like. Yeah, yeah, More more so like a gash then, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and uh boys, the thing was we were like, yeah, yeah, we'll call the guards, but our manager was there, like the room he owned like he the, the, the shop. And it was just he was very like, Yeah, just wait outside the door there and I'll call the guards and you know, like get you ambulance. like, Bring him inside, like he oh, so like, could be
0: an insurance, an insurance thing like
1: But but even at that he oh, just yeah, I convinced. couldn't die I, I,
0: I, I, so I if someone if I had to make him on.
1: stand outside and be like, wait outside, I will get you water, I'll get you put off? around you. He looked like somebody that had been fucking stabbed.
0: <laughs> <know>? <laughs> that's not, yeah, it does not answer. I would right. be
1: disheveled if I had. Do, do, do you know what I mean?
0: Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but what yeah. I mean is, I can't, just,
1: I don't know if he was just roughed up. Because like he's a actually... guy
0: who is used to a knife fight? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's not what my... you
0: trying to be as PC as fucking possible here. I the can't remember, I can't guys. remember. I don't right. know,
1: <laughs> I don't know what a person that routinely gets into knife
0: fights looks like. I've got lots of scars.
1: <laughs> what if he just gets stabbed on his tummy i only saw the one
0: gosh i don't know i had one night all right the closest i had was i remember it was just an uneasy feeling more than anything but mm. where it was coming up to closing time and i used to do the the evening shifts yeah they always had had a man on the evening shift and i was kind of hired for that role in particular yeah so i'd start the tree finish at 11 and it was one night there was this guy hanging around outside the front yeah and i just there was just something about him the way he was walking around the way he was looking at the shop the way he was acting and i could fucking feel something and mm. the girl that was working with me was the same she was standing there, She was like well, what's he doing out there like do you know yeah and um the way our shop was based it would be like a one-way system so you go in one door out the other mm. so you can't come in the outdoor or out the indoor you know okay so we knew we were safe on that side on one side So I got to, when he saw him start to make his way towards the shop, I got to the front, to to the entrance door and just put my foot in front of it. So it just banged against my foot. And I was like, we're closed. (laughs) And I locked the door. Mm -hmm. like, "Uh -uh, fuck off. And he started to freak out a little bit outside. So we just called the cops and uh, they came up all day. They just asked what he looked like. And then we shut up shop then and they kind of hung around while we were. Get ready to go, so just in case he was. Yeah, yeah. About, you know.
1: And did he have anything on
0: him, like he... I don't know. Like I said, he didn't actually do anything to us. It was just a feeling, and the way he reacted after I put my foot against the door kind of confirmed the feeling, you know, that this guy was going to was planning something. Yeah. But yeah. Whatever feeling we had, you know, we both had, it was like, mm-hmm. there's something not right here. And yeah. that was the only situation, I think, where we, we thought, fuck, we're, we're in trouble here. Like, yeah. someone's going to try and rob the place. Mm. But yeah, no, fair play, and no, all fair to the cops. They came up, they they hung out there and waited like, no, it was only 10 15 minutes, but they waited and Tried they, to they, lock up. Yeah, yeah. And once we had started driven, driving off, then they they left. I think I told them to follow the girl home, and I, I was on my bike, like, I just took off down the back roads, so yeah. I was gone. Yeah, But yeah. Anyway, where were we? So, yes, uh, so this was all cotton. On CCTV, Yeah, it?
1: so as seen on closed-circuit TV cameras, the pair departed the services on foot and began to walk down the central reservation of the M6 before attempting to cross it, causing chaos to the traffic and picking up, minor injuries in the attempt. Sabina having been struck by a Seat Leon.
0: Highway agency officers responded to the incident and police from the Central Motorway Police Group were called to assist. The police were accompanied by a small television crew who happened to be filming motorway cops with the officers. Like I said, that was like a the English version of cops.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: uh, a more PC, not racist version of cops. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy watching cops See- from time to time, though. It's fucking uh-huh. ridiculous sometimes uh and so oh jesus some of the things i, remember, I was but you'd be watching cops and you'd be kind of laughing at like the silly stuff with the meth heads and the hookers and stuff
1: and then the serious stuff is fucking serious but that's what i'm saying
0: there was one and it was like they came on it your man comes on a scene and it was like just a bunch of guys on the ground in this garage Dead. and it, yeah and there was one guy there and he was like uh i heard it i heard it they pulled up and they started shooting this this gang pulled up The street gang pulled up to rob them because I think they sold fucking rims for cars and stuff like that. To rob the place, shot fucking machine gun down the few guys that were there and fucking took off. Holy fuck. Fucked up, shit, all right, but that's, uh, well, I mean, what this, well, I, I say that it's not as bad with this uh, highway motor stuff, but what they were about to see here is crazy. Mm. Standing on the north direction hard shoulder of the motorway, the police were being apprised appra- of the situation when, without warning, Ursula broke free and ran into the side of an oncoming Mercedes Benz. Why can't they say that? Mark. Should have just said Same Mark. More. <laughs> Uh, oh, sorry. It was a big-ass Mercedes-Benz lorry traveling at around 56 miles <laughs> I was waiting for that word. I was like, I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Missed that lorry, pack. <laughs> Boom. Sabina then quickly followed her into the road and was hit head on by a Volkswagen polo traveling at high speed. I'd rather take the polo at high then speed the, than yeah. the fucking 50. 56 miles per hour was still pretty fucking hardcore. I told you when I had my motorcycle accident. Tops. I was driving 30 miles per hour
1: fast with, i know the other guy was going like but he, well, was, he was
0: turning u turn so he yeah. wasn't really, he was stationary i was dry it was like driving into a brick wall like you know it, it was hey. he wasn't actually gonna he didn't hit me i hit him
1: yeah but, but
0: yeah smash that foot up <laughs> both survive just like me good on our how
1: do you survive a lorry not bonkers out.
0: She was immobilized as the Larry had crushed her legs, so it must have just, just ran over her over legs, her. and Sabina spent 15 minutes unconscious. The pair were treated by paramedics, however, Ursula resisted medical aid by spitting, scratching, and screaming. Ursula told the police officers restraining her, I recognize you, I know you're not real, holy shit, it's just a girl from the fucking plane. <laughs> oh yeah 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 that motherfucker isn't real <laughs> <laughs> they're going to steal your organs that's not what the girl in the plane said that's what sabina said is that what <laughs> sabina said yeah. oh my god <laughs> to the surprise of the police sabina got to her feet despite attempts from the police officers tracy copey and and paul finlayson Finlayson?
1: Finlayson, I thought, yeah.
0: Sounds like the most Irish Viking name I've ever heard. (laughs) Finlayson. (laughs) They persuaded her to stay on the ground. Sabina started screaming for help and calling for the police, even though they were present. Then hit Officer Cope. Copey. Is it Copey or Cope? I'd say Cope. Cope.
1: Like Cope, not Bob Copey.
0: Yeah, I suppose if you look at it, his name Copeland. It's C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D for Copia. Before running into traffic on the other side of the motorway. I kind of buried the lead there. <laughs> Emergency workers and several members of the police caught up with her restraint and carried her to a waiting ambulance, at which point she was handcuffed and sedative. Given the similarities in their behaviors, a suicide pact or drug use was quickly suspected.
1: Ursula was taken to hospital by air ambulance and Sabina was taken to hospital where, despite her ordeal and apparent lack of concern over her sister's injuries, she soon became calmer and controlled and was released five hours later. That's mental.
0: I can't believe she was released. But uh, that's it. You, we, we've seen it in the case of... I thought uh, it has to be like
1: psychological evaluation there. like before they could. But
0: like, I've always said, I found it funny when it comes to like uh, suicide attempts and stuff like that. We've seen, we won't, we won't name names or anything like that, but we've seen a case ourselves where somebody we knew had a family member try to commit suicide and was in hospital and was released that day. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what? What do do you mean released that day? And that's not the
1: only only case around here. It's a
0: very common thing. Common, yeah. The once you're in a hospital and they know you're healthy you know it's bye bye see you later if you
1: have a family at all you're seeing like basically is it like oh well your family's going to well, help you, take you, care of you yeah, yeah. yeah. So and the family if, could be the root cause of the issue like kids, I'm, not, I'm not I am not i don't mean really, it like that but like,
0: oh no no, no 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 I agree I would that, yeah, that person no no because no, because no at all I
1: just mean in general it could be going joking. back to somewhere like where their family abuses them yeah yeah there
0: is cases like that as well that's what I'm saying it's mental I mean you think like the most extreme case of fucking mental problems is if you were trying to kill yourself or somebody else uh-huh. or anything uh-huh. if, if they thought of killing anything, anything yeah. in saying, yeah. you need to be put in a ward right now for uh, at least a week of fucking psychological fucking testing see
1: I wonder sometimes do they, look, do they look at people that come in that tried it and maybe they look at the wound and be like right well like that was kind of like half no, I don't mean this now but see, it was, it was there was a cry for attention by looking at it maybe saying they knew that it wasn't deep enough
0: but, but see that's the thing as well right with the mental health fucking yeah in ireland mm-hmm. and all that right mm-hmm. now i know it's good enough it's good enough in the sense of they they they're they're trying to improve it and all that yeah but i remember the time where i was getting extreme anxiety yeah and then they put me on the anxiety pills mm-hmm. and that made me fat mm-hmm. and, and i did make
1: made, you fast
0: it put my aim yeah, mean, it, it does it drove blow people to 18 fucking stone okay and that made me depressed <laughs> and i had to go back to the doctor and I was like no i'm depressed and, yeah. you know, and he sent me like to talk to this um person he was like you need to go talk to this person and he had asked me, you know, in the surgery, like, I, I, do you have any suicidal thoughts? I was like, none, not at all, mm. not an option. And he said, well, will you go and talk to this person for me down at this? I can't remember the, the name of the co- the foundation or whatever. And, um, you know, uh, you need to go talk to them and this will help. And I was like, okay, no problem. And I, uh, I went, had made the appointment, went down. Went into the waiting room, went into a room with this lady. She turned on. She's like, yeah, so what's the problem? I was like, well, I went to my doctor with anxiety and a bit of depression. And she's like, okay. She's like, are you suicidal? I was like, no, not at all. Did you tell your doctor you were suicidal? You're, you're suicidal? I said, no, not at all. She said, well, uh, there's you're no more your we can you. you'll be fine. Good luck. <laughs> okay.
1: So no, even kind of like a thing that maybe you had like underlying like suicide. Can, can is that possible? That like maybe that you don't even know of it. Like that, like your like subconscious that sh- they had been able to mm-hmm. see. No, I, I'm not saying know, that you I, have I, them, I but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm saying in general, good. like should, should she have not run like some kind of a fucking conversation to see if that was there? Like, no,
0: nope. it was just pretty plain and simple. Okay, bye bye.
1: Even don't though me. your GP referred you, like that is fucking.
0: But weird. that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's a very weird system we have here, and I think. People don't realize if you don't have fucking money in this, like proper money, if you're not like proper, proper, like professional worker, if mm. you're someone who's working like me, like in a factory or working in fucking just a shop or, or like you on a phone line or something like that, it's not as easy for us here as, as people. Like I was listening to the Sunday World and they were talking about um uh, the, the riots in Dublin there a couple of mm. weeks ago and then our... Well, last week and they were the way they were talking it was like they didn't understand why they, they they it was like they were trying to say they understood why the uh lower class people were doing what they were doing and that it was hard for them and all that but it's like they still couldn't fully grasp it because they hadn't they weren't living it they hadn't mm. lived it they didn't know what it was like to not you yeah. know have insurance to, yeah. to not be able to pay bills to yeah. not to you know and, and you look at that and there's such a divide and that's a, definitely a big stressor, like when it comes oh, to yeah, mental yeah, health yeah. problems in definitely. Ireland. Especially right now, when it comes to mental health in Ireland, the big issue is money
1: mm-hmm. work
0: mm-hmm. and money. Definitely. That is our issue because people don't have houses, people can't pay their bills, people can't live. And people who can pay their bills can pay their bills, but they can't have a life.
1: Yeah, so that's it. You're, you're working you know, just to pay your bills. You're working just but, to survive.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You can't enjoy yourself. You mm-hmm. can't go, I mean prospect of going I've even said it with the way they keep hiking up prices on drinks and no like you know trying to put uh, a minimum prices on fucking alcohol you can buy in the off license eventually drinking will be for rich people only do you know
1: exactly
0: we'll all be drinking prison wine out of our toilets (laughs) Yeah, yeah unless you're a part of the elite and then you get a bottle of Jack Daniels but for us it'll be fermenting shitty fucking fruit in our fucking toilets (laughs) (laughs) Uh, where were we in police custody, she remained relaxed and while being processed, she told the officer, we say in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually, at least one more follows, maybe two. On May 19, 2008, Sabina was released from court without a full psychiatric evaluation, having pleaded guilty to the charges of trespass on a motorway and hitting a police officer. The court sentenced her to one day in custody and she had been deemed to have served that spending, having spent the full night in police custody. That. <laughs>
1: Leaving court, Sabina began to wander the streets of Stoke-on-Trent, trying to locate her sister in hospital and carrying her possessions in a clear plastic bag given to her by the police. She was also wearing her sister's green top. At 7pm, two local men spotted Sabina while walking their dog on Christchurch Street in Fenton. One of the men was 54-year-old Glenn Hollinshead, a self-employed welder, qualified paramedic, and a former RAF airman, and the other was his friend Peter Malloy. Well, Peter has no qualifications. Really. <laughs> Sabina appeared friendly and stroked the dog as the ch- three struck up a conversation.
0: Yeah, that was very kind of like, look at this really, really good guy. That's what yeah. I mean. What's this? And oh, guy, yeah, that's just Peter. Peter. What?
1: Looks <laughs> <Brugs at>
0: McDonald's. <laughs> Fuck Peter. It's nothing wrong with McDonald's. No, apparently they get fucking mm-hmm. paid pretty fucking well.
1: They do. <laughs> Although friendly, Sabina appeared to have been behaving nervously, which worried Malloy. Sabina asked the two men for directions to any nearby bed and breakfast or hotels.
0: So Holland's head took pity on her and instead offered to take her back to his house near, nearby Duke Street. Sabina accepted and relaxed as she began to relate how she was trying to locate her hospitalized sister. Back at the house over drinks, her odd behavior continued as she constantly got up and looked out the window, leading Malloy to assume that she had run away from an abusive partner. She appeared paranoid to offering them in cigarettes only to quickly snatch them out of her mouth, claiming they may be poisoned. Shortly before midnight, Malloy left and Sabina stayed the night. See, again,
1: I, <laughs> know I don't mind that would be going to light the cigarette and she snaps it back yeah. out of your mouth. No, that one's fucking
0: poison You just gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't see straight away that. For, for me, that would be, uh, you need to leave. <laughs> or oh, I believe
1: she had poisoned them but is after backing
0: out. But again, like, I know technically, right, once your time is done in prison and you're released that you're supposed to be a free person to do whatever the fuck you want But should so a situation like this again with a mental health issue in place should there not been, have been some sort of halfway house here? should there not have been somewhere to release to? two
1: mm, yeah
0: should she yeah. not have been released under the grounds of Fucking, which one? Sabina's is, is Sabina's married? Yeah. That her husband comes and 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 she they, she goes away with them, like you know, not that she's just released back into the fucking wild to yeah. do what you want, yeah. like, you know. Especially yeah. when they know she's not from there. Why why wouldn't they be? Well, I suppose there was no deportation there at that point because we were all EU. Yeah. no one is England could just boot her back over here, like.
1: Can they? Oh yes. Yeah, well, yeah, they're
0: not the European Union anymore. So, and she's point, Swedish, not Irish. It would yeah. have to be. We can worker. still go over
1: to, to England, can't we? I mean, we still have, like, the, um, the the free, kind of, what is it? The free travel? Not free travel, the... I don't I
0: think, think. we could. I can I live think over so. there. Uh, you can, because you fucking were born there.
1: Plastic bag. Oh, forever. my <laughs> God.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I used to get that thrown at me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> The next day after, or the next day around midday, Holland's head called his brother regarding local hospitals in order to locate Sabina's sister, Ursula. (coughs) Excuse me. At 7.40 p.m., while a meal was being prepared, Holland said, left the house to ask a neighbor, Frank Boot, for tea bags and then went back inside. One minute later, he staggered back outside, no bleeding, and told them, She stabbed me! No shit, she's fucking crazy, you asshole. You've had her there all night, you know she's mental. Before collapsing to the ground and quickly dying from his injuries. His last words before he died allegedly were, Look after my dog for me. Decent guy. yeah. As boot dialed 999, Sabina fled the premises and was caught on uh, on the run by nearby CTV. She ran out of the house with a hammer, periodically hitting herself over the head with it. Fuck me. This is lunacy. Mm. A passing motorist, Joshua Gattage, saw this and decided to tackle her in an attempt to take control of the hammer. While wrestling with her, Sabina screamed and took a roof tile out of her pocket and struck him on the back of the head with it, stunning him temporarily. By this time, paramedics had found her and gave chase. The pursuit ended at Heron cra- Cross when Sabina jumped from a 12-meter, 40-foot-high bridge onto, an a- onto the A50, breaking both ankles and fracturing her skull in the fall. That she was taken to hospital. You have to wonder how she was released so easily. It's, it's just ridiculous. Like mm. you know, yeah. If they had been fucking doing their job, this guy wouldn't be dead, and she wouldn't have jumped into <laughs> another fucking load of traffic. Yep. On the 6th of June 2008, Sabina was arrested while recovering at University Hospital of North Staffordshire and was discharged in a wheelchair on the 11th of September 2008, at which point she was taken into custody and charged with murder the same day. Ursula was also released from hospital in September and relocated uneventfully back to Sweden and in the US. The trial was scheduled for February 2009, but was adjourned after the court encountered difficulties in obtaining her medical records from Sweden. The trial was scheduled for September 1st, 2009. Sabina pleaded guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility on the 2nd of September 2009. The defense counsel in the trial claimed that Ericsson was a secondary sufferer of Faliadu, influenced by the presence or perceived presence of her twin sister, the primary sufferer perceived presence, oh my theory right. The court also heard that she had suffered from a rare psychiatric disorder, which made her hear voices, but could not interpret what they said. Her plea was accepted by the prosecution of Nottingham Crown Court on the 2nd of September 2010. Sabina was sentenced to five years in prison and was sent to Bronzefield Women's Prison, where she turned to Christianity. That always helps everybody. <laughs> Having already spent 439 days in custody before sentencing, she was left uh, this left her first eligible to be released in 2011.
1: Ursula was released from the hospital after recovering and now lives in Bellevue, Washington. But Sabina was sentenced to five years imprisonment and was released on parole in 2011 before returning to Sweden.
0: So I right? So they're saying Sabina was a secondary person. I mean, you know, Ursula was the the, the the alpha in this situation. But
1: well, Sabina I went to saying. visit Ursula, didn't she?
0: No, all the way around, from what I can tell. Ursa, oh. if Ursula's back in Washington. She, in a... Which one? Every time I hear Ursula, all I see is fucking Phoebe's sister and right. uh <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. But, I
0: uh, see that. Who visited who?
1: I am pretty sure that... Oh, Sabina was living in Mallow. Ursula was in the United States.
0: So Ursula's the problem, and she just gets to walk on off Back to, uh, but
1: then, but then, if, if, well, if, if she's the primary years. one, why does Sabina see Ursula if Ursula's the primary sufferer? I would have thought that the primary sufferer would have hallucinations of a secondary. Do you know, I would, do you know?
0: I have no idea.
1: I don't know if that makes sense. What I, I mean, I
0: but again, in today's story, we're going to see how the secondary was kind of, oh, was she the primary? She was the first one to be crazy, wasn't she? And that passed on to Billy, which passed back. To
1: so me. what they're saying is Ursula yeah. went crazy first. No, no, Ursula went crazy first.
0: It, well, they it, it, you go crazy together, but Ursula is the driving force. It's like when we talk about um, Columbine. Okay. You see that one of them was, was the, the driving Alphard, force. Yeah, no, there, there's one who's kind of like Billy and Stu. Mm. There's Billy was more, how do I say it? Kind of the boss in the situation. Mm. with The, the, the alpha in the situation. He, uh, Stu seemed more like a psychic when okay. you read the story, yeah, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. I know Stu did some fucking really bad shit, but he seems like he was taking his direction from Billy okay so uh, it's 100% what would happen so if one of us lost our marbles would it
1: yeah. what that one wow, yeah I think the two of us go crazy together I feel we we'll make good
0: together. decisions together but we, we support the ship out of each other so like our other idea I mean like if, if the folly do thing if one of us was going to go crazy two of us are going crazy
1: <laughs> like, hey Josh wanna go play in traffic
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> Fucking hell. Fair enough. We're look, We're not going to go too crazy today. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that to uh, the two people we're going to talk about today yeah. instead. Yeah. And you and me, we will try and stay sane and stay inside and stay safe. Exactly. <laughs> so if we're not going to go crazy today, then we better start the show and start talking about the two nuts that did take the plunge into madness and get into Ghostface Killers Part 2, The Mommy Returns. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> So when we last left the Woodsboro survivors had just put a bullet in the head of OG killer Billy Loomis and a TV on the head of Stu Mocker. Putting an end to their real life slasher nightmare once and for all. Or so they thought. See that's the fucked up thing when it comes to Ghostface. The killer under the mask may die but just like a slasher movie monster Ghostface lives on and keeps coming back time and time again. And what our survivors didn't know then was that Billy and Stu had started a domino effect that would see their real-life horror movie return again and again as budding serial killers and slasher movie junkies set out to make sequel after sequel in their honor.
1: It's like we said in the last episode, this all becomes almost cult-like with this weird membership limit. And it seems like the Ghostface moniker has a waiting list. As soon as one or two falls, there's another to take their place. Fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer rules. <laughs> Remember, like she like dies for a few minutes in the first season, and that leads to a new Slayer being called, and it's like that, but with crazy serial killers.
0: Oh, I remember the other serial killer? Was that, that was fair? Not serial killer. Twice, <laughs> no, it's it's like, where
1: are we going with this guy? <laughs> vampire Slayer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Faith made me feel funny when I was small. Faith's <laughs> a bit of a bitch. Uh?
1: Faith's a bit of a
0: bitch. She was a bit of a hot bitch. <laughs> oh, I understand she was
1: attractive, but I didn't realise... I liked her the first time I watched it, but I didn't realise how kind of a
0: bit of bitchy she was. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, the current killer dies and the Ghostface Council then calls on the next two killers to take their place.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, the Ghostface Council could open a whole other can of worms for us here, so let's just shelf that. But for now... Because if theories are correct about what's going on currently with most of the recent Ghostface cases, you could be on to something.
1: Yeah, fuck yeah, I am. Detective Amy Rose reporting for Juicy.
0: Yeah, yourself and Dewey make a great buddy conspiracy cop movie.
1: I would like to be friends with Dewey. <laughs>
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although I joke about these massacres being honor killings to the OG killers, really they're honor killings to the Stab movie franchise. And even then, that trend really doesn't start until later. And when it comes to the first three massacres, revenge really is the main motive for most of the killers. The main bad guys always seem to take on Billy's lead in being more tunnel vision revenge killers. But when it comes to the case of Windsor College, of the Windsor College massacre, there was a killer amongst the Woodsboro survivors who took after Stu and just wanted to be the horror movie monster. And his name was Mickey Altieri, a budding serial killer and wannabe Tarantino filmmaker found online and commissioned to come to Ohio and create a sequel to Billy and Stu's movie.
1: Commissioned? You mean like someone hired him like a hitman?
0: Sort of. From what we know of Mickey, he may have had a few bodies under his belt before taking the mantle as Ghostface. He was pitched a story and given the finance to create his masterpiece with a promise of all the glory. Mickey would have, have been a serial killer regardless of Ghostface. This way, he just fed his movie maker ego as well as getting to be a prolific killer. Plus the movie maker and him couldn't pass up the publicity and media attention attached to the mask. He knew this was a way to leave his mark on history and he was right because over 20 years later, we're still still here talking about him.
1: Well, what glory is in it for him? I mean, if his plans had been successful, then no one would have ever known that it was him. Is it just a self-satisfaction thing where he's happy just knowing he's getting one up on everyone?
0: Well, that's the thing. Mickey didn't want to get away with it. Mickey fully intended on being caught. In fact, he was mainly doing the killing so he could get to the trial where he could pull out his big performance and blame the movies he loves so much for his wild acts of violence. I think Mickey had uh, aspirations of being like Ted Bundy in the courtroom. Hmm. Do you know? yeah. So, uh, see, Mickey played a plan to go down like Dahmer, Bundy or Gacy before him. He wanted to be the face that went with the mask. He wanted to be the new Billy Loomis. But to do that, he had to be caught. It was always a part of the plan, for him at least. His accomplice had other ideas and she will be the true mastermind of this killing spree.
1: Ooh, 90s girl power in action.
0: She is someone we, who we know well. Someone who at the time was the innocent catalyst for Billy and Stu's attacks. Yes, it's time for the return of everyone's favourite mom, Nancy Loomis.
1: Nancy, while on the lam from her family, found out about Billy through the media after the massacre was over. Needless to say, she was heartbroken at the news of the death of her baby boy, Billy. And like Billy, her grief got misdirected and led to fatal violence, adding eight more bodies to the long list of ghost-faced victims. You see, instead of dealing with her grief and guilt like a normal person in therapy or taking time to herself to figure out her feelings, something she was obviously very good at, Nancy went seeking vengeance and her crosshairs were set directly on her son's killer the ever-resilient final girl, Sydney
0: Prescott. Sydney had actually been doing alright for herself since the massacre in 1996, getting the results she needed in her final exams to guarantee her a spot in the course of her choice, that being theatre and drama at Windsor College in Ohio. Randy also got a spot in this college studying his lifelong passion of film.
1: Yeah, things were going alright for our Woodsboro survivors, especially one. Gail Weathers See Gail had written A book The book we referenced In episode one As one of our main sources For the original massacre The Woodsboro Murders This book skyrocketed Gail From a lonely reporter To journalist superstar Overnight Overnight
0: Gail was a bona fide celebrity superstar, and because of this, she wasn't going to miss out on an opportunity to, to be part of the sequel. And as soon as the body started dropping in Ohio, she was on the road, camera in tow, ready to battle Ghostface again in a quest for even more fame and more recognition.
1: To be fair, though, it is her job, and it's not like she's there to cause any trouble. She's usually instrumental in taking down the killers.
0: True, and I've said it before, she is a very, very good investigative reporter. But it's said that in recent years even Gail herself has shown signs of remorse for actions that have for the actions that have followed her book releases.
1: Not enough to stop writing them though.
0: No, it didn't take her long to cash in on the twenty twenty two killings with Reekal Terror returns to Woodsboro, even after initially promising to let the twenty twenty two killers die in anim- anonymity in interviews.
1: Yeah, just Gail being Gail. Like if she didn't write it, to somebody else would have, I suppose. It's better to have her first hand account
0: better for us end this show
1: yep because thanks to Gail and Sydney we do have first hand accounts of this massacre with today's main sources out of darkness and college terror the Woodsboro Horror continues along with the documentary Scream 2 by filmmakers Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson it would have been great to hear the killer side of the story but just like Billy's Nancy and Mickey's tale ends with a bullet between the eyes.
0: So when it comes to where Nancy was after she abandoned Billy or Mickey's background or information is very limited with each killer providing a brief statement for their motive just before their deaths and living a low key life beforehand to keep the attention off them. What we do know is that this was all Nancy's plan, and that's that in some time in 1997, she came across Mickey on a serial killer chat room, grooming him over the next few months while setting up her own cover story, putting the wheels in motion for her perfect revenge.
1: Chat rooms in 97? I didn't think they would have even been a thing then. I'm not even too sure I knew the internet existed back then.
0: The web was a very different place back in its infancy. It was the Wild West. If you knew how to use it in the right places to look, you could find anything. The dark web is not a new invention.
1: Yeah, what I've heard about the dark and deep web though makes my skin crawl. So let's just
0: <laughs> keep going. I would have known there was some sort of chat rooms all right in 97. I remember seeing Shawn Michaels look awkwardly trying to uh Talk to people back about- <laughs> on oh. a big ass oh. computer because they used to show it like on Raw or on the pay per views. Mm. They'd show like that the us were going back and AOL would have uh, probably been sponsoring them yeah. to do it. And you'd see the wrestlers after their matches or before their matches going back, and they'd be in front of the computer answering the questions. It would make you think the wrestler was messaging them. No, oh, okay. Obviously, they would have had other people probably messaging sending them. The messages, yeah. But- so, I'm yeah. like, I just have an image of him awkwardly doing the whole, you know, um, one finger at a time typing. <laughs> <laughs> While I'm kind of sta- squinting at the screen trying to work out. You look like an old man, even though you in your fucking 20s at the time. <laughs> Acquiring Mickey was only step one in Nancy's plan. Step two was a little more complicated, but Nancy's secondary revenge target will provide her with the inspiration for the perfect cover. You see, Nancy didn't just blame Sydney for Billy's death no. She saw all four of the survivors as guilty parties to her. Son's demise, with the higher percentage of the blame directed towards the women. It was for this reason that Nancy decided to use the hiding in plain sight method, following Gail's career post at Woodsboro in 1996 and taking up a new identity as a local reporter, taking on the new moniker of Debbie Salt.
1: So she was planning on getting close to Gail. Uh, I know that they never met, but surely while putting her book together, she would have seen pictures of Nancy or something. So, like, wouldn't Gail have recognized her?
0: The power of a makeover. A little weight loss, a little surgery, and Nancy was just different enough that if you hadn't met her before in real life, you would have never have clicked that she was also Debbie Salt. okay. As Debbie, Nancy followed Gail on her speaking tour of her, uh, for her book promotion, studying her and all her little details, learning what she would need to make herself blend in as the inevitable media circus hit Windsor College after the first few bodies dropped. I'm not sure how Nancy was paying for everything I mean the Loomises were well enough off maybe she was still you know she still had some access to a family account maybe she was receiving an allowance from Hank to prevent the messy divorce but either way Nancy was able to fund the plastic surgery Mickey's college tuition and follow Gail's book tour without any sign of employment
1: well she couldn't hold down a job really I mean where would she find the time for employment that would give her the freedom to plan her revenge and follow Gail around the country?
0: It's a pretty common thing with serial killers to hold on a regular job and even live regular private lives outside of what they're doing. I mean, you look at—we've looked at the BTK killer mm. Dennis Rader. He, he worked like a regular nine to five. He yeah. was a scout leader. He had a high position in the church. He was described by his kids as a great and attentive dad. He killed. 10 people over 30 uh, 30 year period He even killed The whole family For his first kill Kids and all
1: Yet another thing That makes my skin Crawl That man is Absolutely disgusting Now we covered him On Real Monsters On Patreon And it's a great episode And a really interesting story But he is a rotten Evil man Or was Is he still alive? He was Yeah he's body.
0: still alive They, they only released a um, Recent mug He had a new mug shot Like literally Two weeks ago mm. He was way old enough, Like, he had a proper sunken fucking eyes, nice old man kind of, unkempt much. looking.
1: Uh, I, I hate know. that he gets the publicity that he gets. Like, you know that's all he wants. I've heard you say it a few times now, but he definitely got himself caught on purpose so that he could revel in being the notorious BTK in retirement.
0: And Apparently, he was a bit like, was he a bit of a, he was, he was a, definitely a serial killer fanboy, but there's so many fucking, uh, when you're looking at, We've looked at him and Bundy Mm. lately. Mm. Very similar. Yeah. Down to like Bundy was heavily involved with the church. I think he got involved with the Boy Scouts at some point. Mm. I mean, he definitely was taking inspiration from Bundy at the time. Yeah. uh, People know he was following the case and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was a bad egg, all right. Speaking of bad eggs, Nancy finally had her plan all mapped out in motion. Mickey was under her thumb and her new identity was locked in. She knew the who and the where. All she was looking for now was the when. And Gail's never-ending quest for fame would provide her with the perfect opportunity to get her murder ball rolling. Gail's book, The Woodsboro Murders, had been made into a movie, much to Nancy's dismay. And Nancy couldn't let opening night pass without honoring her baby boy, Billy. So on December 12th, 1987, at a special preview showing of the movie Stab Nancy and Mickey would shoot their opening active in front of a live audience As Casey Becker played by Heather Graham lost her life to Ghostface one more time for the big screen
1: I loved Heather Graham and Austin Powers but well, what was that you said about a live audience
0: exactly what I said this opening kill was going to be live a stage performance a bonus live set for the bloodthirsty slasher fans who came out for opening night
1: so no one in the cinema spotted the guy in a Ghostface costume racking around an opening night of a film Based on the Ghostface Killers.
0: To promote the movie on opening night, free Ghostface costumes were handed out to moviegoers. So no, no one spotted the real Ghostface lurking amongst a hundred or so other Ghostface running wild around the cinema that night.
1: Who does that? I mean, you don't see them offering fee- free face paint at the premiere of GAC back in 2003. <laughs>
0: I know. You couldn't get away with that now. I mean, you saw all the grief Netflix got for the Dahmer series saying that they were glorifying him, making him a sympathetic character. Imagine the uproar now if you tried this.
1: What would you hand out for a Dahmer premiere? Glasses? Blonde wig? Glasses?
0: (laughs) Regular food that is made look like human, Uh, I would assume.
1: (laughs) Twitter would massacre
0: you.
1: (laughs) Oh, X X would massacre you. I can't get used to that.
0: Ah, people are still calling it Twitter. Fuck him Or and yeah
1: or it's here calling it x so so busy i was watching um, a news piece and they were like x "X." yeah
0: yeah i talk a lot of shit about him and now i'm starting to realize at some point i did say that he could possibly be an alien and become our alien overlord if that's the case elon i'm only joking and and i am ready to accept your rule of the planet (laughs) please don't enslave us
1: I'm going to remain on the
0: fence about that one. I feel I need to make a small correction here. We both describe Mickey as lurking around the cinema, as if he was hiding in the shadows. But from CCTV footage at the night of the show, Mickey walked tall and confidently into his mission, murdering Phil Stevens and Maureen Evans in front of a room full of people, then simply walking back out the front door with no witnesses to the murder and no indication of a motive.
1: So over 100 people saw it happen, but there are no witnesses. I don't want to come across as racist, but the last time I heard the name Altieri, it was on The Sopranos. Did Mickey send some goons to help all these people from stitching on him?
0: Nope. Genuinely, no one saw it happen. Have you ever been to a stab movie in the cinema? It's a very interactive experience. Although the source material is from true, brutal, and dark events, the movie is extremely campy and has developed a cult following. Stab fans will generally talk back to the on-screen characters, scream warnings at the would-be victims, quote dialogue as it happens, and even throw stuff at the screen.
1: Like The Room by Tommy Wiseau.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, on on that night, Windsor College seniors Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens were at the Rialto Theatre in Ohio for the midnight preview of Stab, written by Will Kennenson, directed by Robert Rodriguez, and released through Sunrise Studios.
1: Hank Loomis used to work there. Everything in this story seems to link together. It's so strange.
0: Oh, you have no idea. After taking their seats, Phil left Maureen to take a pre-movie whiz. He was later found to have been stabbed in the ear through a toilet cubicle wall.
1: How long was the knife? What do you mean? Uh, Like how could the knife Break through the wall And reach his head I mean What was he doing? Was he trying to listen To to listen in On the person pooping next to him?
0: Maybe he went to the bathroom Looking for a glory (laughs) hole
1: (laughs) someone should tell him he's
0: doing it wrong if he's sticking his ear to the hole however why Phil was listening to his neighbouring pooper is unknown what we do know though is that once Mickey was confident that he had Phil's attention he drove the knife with extreme force through the wooden partition and straight into the side of Phil's head killing him almost instantly he then stole Phil's jacket and made his way back into the screening room taking a seat next to the unsuspecting Maureen Evans Mickey wearing Phil's jacket and a ghost face mask cuddled into Maureen and as she sat there covering her eyes to hide away from Casey's death scene ghost face Mickey struck and slipped his knife into her guts as the audience howled and screamed at the big screen from here Maureen stumbled out into the sea of people wearing the iconic mask making it impossible for her to keep track of her attacker Mickey then got in close to Maureen landing three more stabs to her back
1: I have two questions Hmm? first question do you think that Maureen was killed specifically for her name to be the first kill yeah Oh, I didn't know that. That's only you have to click on me.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get, I can explain that a little later. Okay. But yeah, I'll explain as we go on there.
1: Okay. Secondly, why didn't anyone help her?
0: Well, they thought it was part of the show. And this is from the night said that they honestly thought it was just another gimmicky promo. Okay. Some of my studios went hard on the promo tactics and people didn't realize that what they were seeing was real until it was too late. Mm witnesses say maureen stumbled onto a small stage in front of the projection screen covered in blood with one hand holding her stomach together and the other reaching out to the crowd helplessly pleading for help from the captivated audience then just as it all started to get real for the onlookers maureen with her final breath left out a blood curdling scream before collapsing into a pool of her own blood the last thing she saw was over a hundred Ghostwists unmasked to watch as she became just another casualty to the Curse of Woods, bro.
1: And Mickey just stole off home might not have happened. Pretty much. Uh were both of them dead though. How do we know who killed them? Did they confessed each separate murder before they died? I mean, how can we tell?
0: Honestly, it's mostly guesswork... ...like where each of them were when the killing happened... ...but it's pretty widely accepted that nine times out of ten... ...Mickey was the one under the mask... ...with Nancy playing more of a background role... ...pushing all the pieces into place... ...making the phone calls... ...planning and making sure Billy got the job done right... ...in fact, out of the Windsor College victims... authorities believe Nancy actually only committed... ...one murder by her own hand... ...but man, Nancy's one stings more than all... the Mickey's put together... ...that's not to be disrespectful of other victims... It sucks this happened to any of them, but Nancy's attack hits close to home, so just prepare yourself is all I'm saying.
1: Oh God, okay.
0: So all this went down at 10.50, or sorry, 12.15, Thursday night, Friday morning.
1: What a way to start your day.
0: It's not only how they plan to start the day, it's also how they plan to end it. But now it was time to bring it a little closer to home, and with the media circus descending on Windsor College, Nancy decided it was time for Debbie Salt to make an appearance.
1: So she's here to get close to gear, right? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer kind of thing.
0: Yeah, pretty much. While Nancy might not be the one plunging the knife into people, she got just as much of a rush, leading these people to their inevitable death. So she wanted to get close enough to Gale so she could drop the little bright rums for her to follow. But at the end of the trail, it's Mickey and he's here to kill you. And that's exactly what she did. She led Gale along by being the over-enthusiastic Gale Weathers wannabe superfan. Annoying enough to not be on Gale's killer radar, but with enough good lead tips to be worth keeping close by.
1: Originally, the movie murders were seen as an isolated event. Police tried to pass it off as an overzealous fan who lost the run of himself. They assured the public that the killer would be in custody soon and told everyone there was no reason to worry. Less than 22 hours later, Nancy and Mickey would prove this wrong and let the world know once and for all that Ghostface was back. And if it was stab they wanted, then it was stab they would get, up close and personal. This time, Mickey knew the perfect place to strike. You see, that night, the Omega Beta Zeta sorority were holding their co-sponsored Acid Rain Mixer with the Pi Gamma Alpha fraternity at their frat house on Windsor College campus. Mickey knew that it was the Omega Beta Zeta policy to always have one sister stay sober on the night of big events. Every sister had to take a turn, meaning while the acid rain mixer raged on, one sorority sister would stay behind at the house in case of any drunk sisters that would need help or assistance on that night.
0: That night, the job fell to CC Cooper, an 18-year-old film student who shared classes with both Randy and Mickey in Windsor College. Not a lot is known about how it all went down. All we know is there was a chase, a struggle, judging by the state of the house. And Cece, just like Sydney before her, found herself with no option but to run up the stairs to safety. Mickey then chased her to a balcony where Cece was trapped. He then stabbed her once and pushed her from the third-story balcony to her death.
1: Three murders in less than 24 hours. Like, these two are no joke.
0: Okay, so, little sidebar here. You were asking about, was Maureen Evans picked because of her name mm. she was because mm. maureen evans mm-hmm. being the first victim maureen prescott mm-hmm. phil stevens first the second victim stephen Orth. Mm. third victim cc cooper real name casey
1: Ah, oh, casey becker
0: casey becker okay. so at this point they would probably start looking around for who is the next one to go had after cc was it principal so arthur himbury would be the next name they were looking for but that didn't come into play after the first three they set out to make their own Uh, ending so
1: i wonder is that like a thing of like leaving fake stuff at a crime scene to throw people off the center
0: maybe but um so they weren't done yet anyway after killing casey cooper Uh cc Riding high on, the su- on their success from that day, they decided to go to the frat house party for a close encounter with their primary target. It was time for Sydney Prescott to once again come face to face with the father with father death, the Ghostface Killer. After killing CC, Mickey slipped back into the party. His absence going completely unnoticed. Nancy called in a tip to the police to draw attention to CC's body and give herself a distraction. She then put on the Ghostface costume and got into position to wait for Sydney.
1: I think this is the same thing as what Billy did when he first attacked Sydney. It's more about scaring Sydney than it is about killing her. Nancy wants to torture Sydney for what she did to Billy and take people away from her one by one before finally killing her. And Mickey just loves to watch the fear and anxieties causing Sydney and the little social circle in general.
0: Him being there when Nancy attacks is, a, is good for an alibi, too, in case somebody did notice later he went missing around the time of Cece's murder. As news of cops at the sorority house spread, the party cleared out and worried students making their way down to see what had happened. As the frat house emptied, Sydney could hear the landline ring, and after a moment's hesitation, she picked it up only to hear a, the voice of a ghost. A voice she thought was dead and buried. Hello, Sydney. Remember me?
1: That must be chilling to hear after all she's been through and Stu.
0: After a brief exchange, Nancy pounced, lunging at Sydney Wiley with her knife. After a brief and clumsy chase, Sydney was saved when her college boyfriend, Derek Feldman, and good old deputy Dewey Riley turned up to save the day.
1: Where the hell did Dewey come from?
0: Shit, did I forget to mention him so far? Dewey was there. Apparently, like, as soon as Maureen and Phil's bodies hit the floor, he was on a plane to Ohio. I'm exaggerating, but he was in Ohio as soon as news broke about the movie murders.
1: Must be easy to get holidays from the Woodsboro Sheriff Department.
0: Dewey wasn't holidays. He was still out in disability from the stab wound he received from Billy in Woodsboro. The stab had hit a nerve in his back, causing him to walk with a limp and stro- a struggle with fluid mobility. I mean, he could get around, but you could tell he was under pressure. Poor Dewey. Derek struggled with Nancy, but in the end, Nancy was able to break free by slashing Derek in the arm. Dewey was just behind him and missed Nancy by seconds.
1: Sydney's just thinking, shit, here we go again.
0: Yep, paranoia hit the original survivors like a ton of bricks. They trusted none of their new college friends and that included Derek. Both Dewey and Sydney found it suspicious that the homicidal maniac chose to only superficially wound Derek instead of just stabbing her way out when he, she had, when he had her cornered in the house. In fact, enough suspicion was leaning in Derek's direction that it caused the cops to ask him a few questions. Derek was temporarily cleared and a security detail was put on Sydney to keep her safe. But even with that, Sydney just didn't feel right. She knew from experience someone close to her was behind all this. She realized that once again someone close to her was about to destroy her trust in mankind, and I think even then Sydney realized where her fate lay and what her future would hold.
1: You may be thinking, Oh, poor Sydney right now, what a terrible path to have to walk down in life. But in truth, this acceptance is what turned Sydney Prescott from poor final girl into a serial killer killing machine. And it's what would drive her to take out nine ghost face killers over a twenty-five-year period. She's like Ripley from Alien. No fear.
0: Fuck up. As I said, paranoia was running rife amongst the group and everyone was a suspect. After having the killer so close to them last time, who could blame them?
1: Yeah, I'd be shutting myself off from the world just by a house in the woods or a mountain or something and making an impenetrable fortress.
0: Yeah, that comes later.
1: Huh, my God.
0: But this was the start of her isolating herself. She told Derek she needed space for both of their safety. If he was the killer, then she needed to get away from him. If he wasn't the killer, then he needed to steer clear of her or risk becoming a victim himself. Unfortunately, a side effect of being close to Sydney was death. A side effect we were all about to become far too familiar with. This fatal event can't actually be classified as serial killing and is actually a killing spree. Serial killing is when a killer murders three or more people with cooling off periods in between each murder. Nancy didn't have the patience for that. And only hours after committing a triple homicide, the killers were out for more. All this happens over a weekend. By Sunday morning, it's all wrapped up and over with.
1: I'm afraid to ask, but who did she get? Like, I assume this is Nancy's one big solo kill you alluded to earlier.
0: Nancy's one and only solo victim in the spree was one of our Woodsboro 96 survivors, Randy Meek. Nancy had spent the morning stalking our core four group waiting for the right time to strike So when she saw Dewey, Randy and Gail sitting out on the college campus discussing who could possibly be next on the chopping block She couldn't help herself and rang Gail's phone in an attempt to pile the pressure and anxiety on her would-be victims But when Gail ignored the call, Randy picked up instead The gang quickly came to the conclusion that the killer had to be close by and Randy needed to keep Nancy talking long enough for them to comb the area and see if they could catch her red-handed with the hot phone in her possession. But Nancy's no fool and as they searched the grounds for the offending caller, Nancy was baiting Randy towards her. Now, we can't be sure if Nancy had intended on killing Randy or if she had just been stirring shit with the call, and things just you know went a bit too far. Yeah. But witnesses claimed that Randy could be heard taking the piss out of Billy, but calling him a pussy with mommy issues just moments before his disappearance. It's believed at that point Nancy must have seen Ray taking her permanently over the line from murder accomplice to full blown killer. Nancy had been hiding out in the back of a news van and when Randy got close enough, she grabbed him, pulling him into the van and into the sharp end of her knife, stabbing him four times in the torso before slashing his throat open, leaving him to bleed out and die as she made her get away.
1: Holy shit.
0: This all kicked off Thursday. It's now Saturday. There we're four bodies in and before the day ends there will be six more dead with four more victims in the deaths of Nancy and Mickey themselves. Needless to say authorities were under pressure and scrambling for a lead. They needed a suspect and fast and another familiar face from Woodsboro would be the one to fill that need. That man was cotton weary.
1: What the hell is he doing here? I like, assure you this is the last place he'd want to be. He just got cleared from the first murder. And now he shows up again, fresh out of prison when a new killer is stalking the college campus. Like, surely he knew they'd jump to conclusions again.
0: Yeah, pretty dumb move, alright, but. You see, Cotton had been invited to Windsor College by Gail under the false pretense that an interview had been set up with Sydney to discuss the case of her mother's death at the hands of Billy and her wrongly accusing him of the crime. Cotton, like Gail, was fame hungry. He wanted to use the media interest in Ghostface, in the Ghostface case, to build his own name up. And what better way to start than to finally have Sydney fully clear his name on live television?
1: Sydney obviously wasn't in on this deal then, no?
0: No. And from what I've read, she when she was confronted by Gail and Cotton at the college sydney got so angry that she punched gail right in the face
1: go sydney badass
0: it didn't take long for cotton to draw some negative attention to himself getting himself arrested and questioned over aggressively soliciting sydney in the college library trying to convince her to go on diane sawyer's talk show and promising a big payday and even going so far as to tell her she owed him for the misery he had been put through over the past two years as a wrongly accused murderer but with no evidence to hold him and a fear of negative attention, wrongly arresting a man just released from prison after being wrongly convicted of murder, Cotton was released and the cops were further away than ever when it came to a lead in the case. Officers decided at this point the smartest thing to do would be to get Sydney out of the area and into a safe house. So Sydney and her roommate Haley went back to their dorm to pack some things. In the meantime, Dewey and Gale had an idea to check Gale's uh, cameraman's video footage taken throughout the weekend as filler shots for Gale's reports. And the the thought being that if the killer really was close by and relishing every second of the terror, then they might just show up in the clips and give themselves away. Using the college's video lab and editing suite, the odd couple began to comb through the footage looking for any clue to guide them on their hunt for the killers, but as they searched their video feed was interrupted with new footage, footage Gail had never seen before, footage of Cece and Randy taken at them just moments before their deaths. A confused Gail and Dewey stared at the footage, trying to make sense of what they were watching. And in that confusion, Nancy struck again, appearing out of what must have felt like thin air and rushed at both Gail and Dewey at the same time, hoping the element of surprise would let her bag two birds with one stone.
1: Nancy getting cocky with success.
0: Yeah, well, I guess she thought that Dewey's disability gave her the upper hand here and took her shot. Mm. And the shot landed. After a brief chase around the video lab, Gail managed to find refuge in a soundproof radio studio. And on the outside of that studio, Dewey clumsily shuffled around watching out for Nancy while searching for Gail in a way out of the killer's reach. Just as Gail and Dewey locked eyes through a window looking in on the studio, Nancy struck, landing four blows into Dewey's back, leaving him to bleed out as she turned her attention to the grieving, distraught Gail.
1: What the hell? You said Nancy only got one kill. She got Randy and now you hit me with Dewey's death without warning.
0: Ah, uh, Dewey survives. Bare- barely, but uh, he lives to fight another day.
1: Dewey, that man has made a
0: steal. <laughs> anyway, after a bit more running and hiding, Gail got far enough away from Nancy that Nancy had to call it quits and get herself away from the crime scene, getting herself outside and out of costume back into her role as mild-mannered reporter Debbie Salt. Meanwhile, inside, Gail was still frantically running the halls, desperately looking for help throughout the empty college halls, or almost empty college halls.
1: Who did she find?
0: The most unluckiest man in and all of Woodsboro, Windsor, Cotton fucking weary.
1: God damn it, Cotton.
0: <laughs> Cotton quickly tried to calm the frantic Gale, telling her he had found Dewey and wanted to know what the hell was going on. But Gale, seeing blood on Cotton's hands and knowing Cotton's temper, was quick to surmise that Cotton was the only logical person to be her attacker. She quickly pushed past him and ran to the main entrance to safe. But instead, she was met. By Debbie Salt. And Debbie was in her end game. Nancy was done with the cat and mouse games. And she was ready to finish out her revenge. She pulled the gun on Gail. And told her to move. They were on their way to the stage. The final act was upon them. There was one more player missing from the game. The star of the show. The name on the marquee. The final girl. Sydney Prescott. But that was under control too, because before the cops could get her out of town, Mickey would get her and bring her to Nancy for one last tribute to Billy, one more sacrifice to the killer gods of her first son, the perfect ending to the perfect sequel.
1: So how's Mickey going to get Sydney away from the police escort? Murder. Oh yeah, (laughs) Sydney. and me, how did I think of that?
0: Mickey's job that night was solely to focus on Sydney and getting her to the college auditorium before she could be whisked away by the to a safe house and out of Nancy's reach. This was going to prove to be difficult because the cops weren't wasting any time, and Mickey would have to think in his feet and strike fast to get his hands on Sydney.
1: Ooh, I hope she gets away.
0: As luck would have it, there was uh, some minor roadworks taking place near the college entrance, causing temporary traffic lights to be erected. Mickey, knowing this to be the only route out for the officers, took up base nearby, just waiting for the police car to pull up and stop at the red light. And sure enough, they did. And as Sidney and Hayley helplessly watched from the backseat, Mickey burst in the window, stabbing the officers, killing the driver instantly. The other officer got into a struggle with Mickey and was temporarily knocked out. Mickey climbed into the car with the intention of just driving off at Sydney, But as he started the car, the other, the other officer got back up and took aim. Mickey, panicking, hit the accelerator, ploughing into the officer, losing control and crashing into a pile of building supplies.
1: I assume he killed a cop when he hit him with the car.
0: Well, if the car didn't do it, then the pipe threw his skull. Did. Wait, what? Yeah, when they hit the building supplies, a pipe went right through his head and into the car windscreen. Cock, Bob. Yuck. <laughs> I don't know. Pig tastes good. Oh, <laughs> Josh. The cop wasn't the only one injured in the crash. Mickey was knocked out cold, too.
1: Injured? I... That's what we're calling a cop now. Injury.
0: <laughs> yeah, just a mild case of death. A couple of days, he'll be right as rain again. <laughs> anyway, the momentary lack of consciousness on Mickey's pack gave Sydney and Haley the chance to make an escape. But this being a cop car, they had, they'd have to go through the front. The back doors could only be open from the outside, so they were stuck. This would mean climbing over Mickey's unconscious body to escape.
1: Nope, couldn't do it.
0: Yeah, he's wearing a mask too, so you can't even see if he's awake or not. They're just praying to the gods that he's really out and not just playing possum, waiting for them to get close so he could strike.
1: Sure, your best bet is to like, kill him. And then jump forward and think that I had stand up in quarter. Would you do time for it?
0: That's I don't defense, know. I, I, I honestly don't know.
1: So what happened? Did they get out?
0: They sure did. But Sydney couldn't walk away. She had to know who was under the mask. And when would she get a better opportunity than now? So ignoring Haley's pleas to run away and alert authorities, Sydney went back to the car to confront Mickey, only to find the car empty. And just as she turned to alert Haley, Mickey came up behind her, stabbing Haley in the neck four times, killing her as she reached out to Sydney for help.
1: This is horrific, that poor girl. Sydney must feel terrible. She might have survived if she'd listened to Haley and ran away when they had the chance,
0: though. You can't really blame Sydney for wanting to not a mask the killer, though. The mask yeah. holds the power. We've said it before. The, the unknown is scary. The faceless killer seems almost invincible. because mm. by being able to identify the killer to the cops, it allows them to close in on Mickey and slow down, if not stop the killing spree almost immediately. Yeah. With Sydney reeling from the dead of yet another friend, and her security detail, Mickey, like a farm dog, took to herding Sydney in, direct, in the direction of the university auditorium and into the final scenes of the Billy Loomis-inspired slasher sequel.
1: These guys are the worst examples of horror fans. I hate that they live up to the stereotype. Violent movies and violent games made me want to kill people. Right? They ruin it for the rest of us. I mean, we watch lots of horror movies and play violent games all the time, and we don't run around in silly costumes killing people.
0: No, we just sit around for hours reading, writing, and talking about people dressing up in silly costumes and killing people. Like good, well-adjusted, normal people. Oh Yeah, we do. (laughs) As Sydney entered the auditorium, she was met with the sight of her boyfriend Derek tied to a cross and barely conscious. She was just about to untie him when Mickey arrived on the scene, revealing himself to Sydney and holding her at gunpoint. He proceeded to convince Sidney that Derek had been his accomplice all along, and as soon as he saw a flash of doubt hit Sidney's mind, he shot and killed Derek before revealing Nancy as his true partner in crime, playing with Sidney's fragile emotions one more time before ending her once and for all.
1: Imagine Sydney's face when she sees Nancy for the first time. Like, how does she miss her around campus? Surely, makeover or not, Sidney would have recognized her ex-boyfriend's
0: mom. Yep, she knew who she was dealing with as soon as Nancy walked on stage. Gail and Toe followed by following at gunpoint. The two of Woodsboro survivors listened as Mickey told them all of Nancy's master plan and his aspirations of getting caught to become a legendary serial killer in the same vein as Jack the Ripper or Ted Bundy. And as he laid out his defence, blaming violence in the media, Nancy took aim and bang, Mickey was gone. Good right. Nancy's plan was a little more simple than Mickey's and was inspired by her son's original plan. Kill Gail, kill Sydney, kill Mickey and make it look like a shootout, leaving Mickey with the credit of soul killer and all witnesses to Nancy's involvement dead. She could then abandon the identity of Debbie Salt and return to her life as Nancy. Sydney dead and buried and her son's finally, her son finally avenged. But there was one thing Nancy didn't count on. And that was that the man who always seemed to be in the wrong place at the wrong time would finally show up where he was needed at the right time. But questions were still looming on where Cotton's loyalty really lay. How much of a grudge did he really harbour towards Sydney for the time locked away, labelled a monster and a sex fiend? Nancy could see the conflict in Cotton's eyes. Nancy was offering him the chance to be the hero of the story. All he had to do was let her finish off Sydney and he could kill Gail, she disappear, and he can tell the story of how he took Mickey down in a desperate but failed attempt to save the life of Sydney and spend the rest of his life doing interviews and collecting movie royalty checks, and there'd be no one left alive to stand in his way.
1: He nearly would too, wouldn't he?
0: According to Sydney in her later book, Out of Darkness, there was a moment where she was sure Cotton was going to agree to the deal. Mm. So much so that it prompted Sidney to say two words, two simple words that instantly grounded Cotton and brought him back to reality. You want to know what those two words were?
1: Oh, I think I can guess this one. Go for it. Diane Sawyer.
0: (laughs) Hey, got it in one. Without a second, more talk, Cotton shot down Nancy with Sidney, putting a bullet in both her and Mickey's heads for good measure. Because like Randy had always told her in his horror survival 101 courses, even when you think the killer's dead, he'll always come back for one last scare. And with Mickey and Nancy dead, it should be safe to say that the nightmare was over. But the reality was everyone close to Sydney was dead. Her trust in people shattered and her mind plagued with PTSD. When this massacre was all said and done, she retreated to a heavily secured house in the middle of nowhere, cut in contact with all personal relationships, only keeping in contact with her father and Dewey. If no one could get close, no one could tear her down. But what Sydney didn't realize was she was only two-thirds of the way through this revenge flick. And Ghostface would indeed be back one la- for one last scare. And with him, he would bring ghosts from the past. You see, all this time, there was one more killer looming over Sydney from the shadows. A person who claims complete responsibility for all three massacres. It's someone we met very briefly in episode one. We were about to get into the mystery of the creepy voice snitch that rang Nancy and told her about Hank's affair with Maureen. This man's name was Roman Bridger, and he was Sidney Prescott's brother. What? And that's it for this episode.
1: No, you can't even hang in.
0: No one's been left hanging. Episode 3 and the conclusion to this series is up and waiting to jump into your ear holes right now. In this part of the story, we leave Woodsboro for Hollywood and the set of Stab Tree as we try to unravel the mystery of Maureen Prescott, Rena Reynolds and Roman Bridger. If you like what you hear, you can go check out our Patreon for more true crime and horror shows with exclusive shows going up every week. Subs are only $5 a month.
1: And don't forget to check out our mini dropping Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday on Spotify and all other platforms.
0: Yep, we can't shut the fuck up so you just have to deal with our daily doses of terror. But for this week, we're done. So until next week, I'm Dr. Harley Ray Smokinstein THC.
1: And I'm Amy Rose telling you to be good to your mothers and stop turning them into homicidal maniacs.
0: It's Alive Alive, all the guts and gore with none of the guilt. See you next week. Same Alive Alive time, same Horrorverse channel. Love you, bye-bye. Hey lady, I love you,
1: bye-bye.